1: Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg.
2: This is Martina Navratilova.
0: I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. <laughs>
3: Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport on day 11 of Wimbledon 2017. I'm Catherine Whitaker. I'm joined by David Law and I'm joined by Simon Briggs, who is typing away at his laptop as we speak. This He's is air-typing. podcasting This is podcasting on the run from Simon Briggs.
4: Yeah, apparently uh, Neil Harmon was famous for commentating on the BBC while typing. i have never to be able to master it, but maybe this is my dry run.
3: Can you confirm that, rumour, I can
2: confirm that. And, and Simon, just to give you an idea, we're standing in a corridor just outside the press room here with Roger Federer having just beaten Thomas Burdick. Mm-hmm. He's going to face Marin Cilic in the final. Simon is standing here precariously balancing on his palm, his laptop, whilst typing left-handed and appearing on the tennis podcast. That is commitment.
3: It is. We're recording at 7.24pm. Simon needs to file at 8pm. And Roger Federer is due in press at 7.30pm. So we may have a brief... Roger Federer interlude to this podcast you won't hear that interlude you'll it'll be seamless for the listener but we ourselves may have a recording interlude I'm not interrupting the tennis podcast for
2: him
3: (laughs) well you might have no choice David anyway as David explained we've seen Federer go through we've seen Chilich go through we've seen one four set semi-final we've seen one straight set semi-final in many ways the straight set semi-final David the more competitive the more compelling
2: yeah, certainly the more compelling. I think, just games style wise, Query against Cilic is a bit samey throughout the match, isn't it?
3: John Infidel three times used the word enthralling. <laughs> on his commentary well, on BBC One nice and I sort of I bless uh, bless him for his attempts to engage the viewer glass but half I did full think it was yeah I think, yeah. thought it was a bit glass well, half look, full I mean
2: I listened to I didn't actually watch it on TV in terms of listening to the commentary I listened to our colleagues on Five Live which was an amazing lineup. we'd got Goran Ivenicevic alongside Mats philander alongside Anna Bocroft with Gigi Salmon and uh, Vassos Alexander and it was a thoroughly entertaining couple of hours because you know they didn't just concentrate on what was going on on the court. They also talked around it. But in terms of a, a matchup, I don't know about you, Simon, I felt Cilic, sorry, Federer against Burdick was a really, really good match. It was straight sets, but throughout it was competitive, highly competitive.
4: Yeah, I'm afraid I'm going back to my Gleinborn comparison from earlier in the week um, and my piece about how, uh, quoting Elizabeth Wilson and Love Game, about how people, when they, want, when they watch Federer, I'm not sure they want him to be put in real peril they're more almost coming for the performance so what they want is a is a opponent who challenges him but doesn't really threaten him um and allows i i think in my piece i'm going to describe it as a bit like a, an illusionist's act, where you have the the assistant and you and, and you kind of you weave your routine around them and that's what Federer did it was uh he, he wasn't it wasn't 10 out of 10, Federer. I'm reckoning he's about eight and a half out of 10, Federer. It was very, very good. He showed signs of frustration at how well um, Burditch played, but overall, there were some uh, incredible shots. Incredible
2: shots. Just to be clear, are you saying that Thomas Burdick is the is the person that gets sawn in half?
4: He's by Debbie Richard McGee. Federer? I'm afraid he is. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be a doesn't have to be a lady, does it, <laughs> Catherine? <laughs>
3: thought, if you can think of a male example of that of that role ever 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 played by somebody in history then good luck to you I think that's a wonderful comparison, actually, Simon, and I'm hoping he doesn't walk past us as I say this. I thought that match very much summed up Thomas Burdick. He played fantastically. He played about as well as he could. I don't think he could have done anything more, and it was just so far not good enough. There was never a moment where you really thought it was going to be good enough. I'm not sure about that. It just exposed how good a tennis player he is and also how limited a tennis player he is.
2: Yes, but I was commentating on the second set of it and he was the better player throughout much of that set he was the better player. Yeah he player. played great and he great. he came up and it's rare I think that you find Thomas Burdick against Roger Federer or anybody against Roger Federer who really identifies a game plan. Yes we've had the, 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 the hooked left handed forehand for years of Nadal that has worked against Federer but Burdick did it the other way right handed cross court forehands
4: blasting it into the forehand side of Federer and Federer didn't like it Simon yeah, early on he looked wobbly on the wide forehand and I wondered if he might have a physical issue because that's often the first shot that goes when a player has you know some kind of um, hip or, or, or leg or groin issue because it's such a difficult um, base to hit the ball from. So I wondered a little bit about what condition he was in but he did steady himself. He began, I think, to, to, to find the forehand up the line off the Cross-court Burditch forehand, and redirect play, and there was one or two half volleys that he hit after a return into that side, which were just ridiculous. I mean, yeah, there were. He, he, was, th-
2: ha- he was having to produce magic, wasn't he? Because the the sort of standard Federer stuff wasn't getting the done in a in a regulation
4: fashion. He was actually having to produce an illusionist's stardust. He was he was going to the to the crazy points, the the the, the ones where he was threading the ball from, from an impossible position and, and, and making it work for him. And I was surprised he looked so frustrated at times because it seemed to me that, that it was flowing. But I think that he felt that Burdish was close on his heels and he felt that a mistake or two and he might go behind and he probably knows that he doesn't want to be on court for too long because ultimately... He's, a, he's the best player in the world but he's, he's not necessarily the, the, the most uh, endurant, what's the word, I can't think of the word Endurance isn't the right word but he, he doesn't have that stayability physically maybe Durable? Yeah, in, in in the course of a five-set match, not only would that put him in, in peril today, it would put him in peril on Sunday. So he was really worried about that, and he felt Burditch was close to pushing him that far.
3: Was it Simon and David a nervous Roger Federer today? <laughs> Did nerves perhaps account for that one point five out of ten that we're missing today? That's Roger Federer that's that's been announced.
2: Oh, it has. So should we just go and see that, and, have it, and then we can tell everybody what he said? Let's, Let's go. Do that.
3: Well, the question I asked before we were so rudely interrupted there Who's by he think he Roger is? Federer Who? was whether or not the great man was nervous for this match. Well, David Law managed to ask Roger Federer in the press conference just a few moments ago, and his answer was no. He wasn't nervous today. He said, yes, I d- still do get nervous. He, s- he said he specifically was nervous before his second-round match against Dusan Lajovic because he didn't know much about him and had never played him before. But said he wasn't nervous today before the match or during it. Do we believe him, David? Well,
2: I, I tend to take him at face value because I, I don't think he's afraid to admit that he's nervous. But yeah. it, he looked nervous to me today, and I, I tried to get him to elaborate on how nerves manifest themselves in a, on a match day, or you know. And, and he sort of he alluded to his legs feeling a little bit different, and. Not, not his head, he said, not my head spinning, but you know, I think it, a,
3: a f- lot of a fo- options. A fogginess and, in it, yeah. his head is, is what it sounded like, sort of having lots of options and not having the clarity of, of, of thought. Yes. Um, which is interesting because he seems to have such clarity of thought. You know, we compare him to Grigor Dimitrov, so similar in styles, and what, what's different between them out there, amongst other things. For me, the biggest difference is the clarity of thought, mm. the the decision making on the court. So it's interesting to think of. Federer being foggy-minded at all out there, but he says he wasn't today. He also, David, you also asked him about something that he brought up in his post-match Flash interview with the BBC. He took the opportunity to specifically uh, give thanks for playing all of his matches on Centre Court for the tournament. He said, what an honour and a privilege that was, and he was very grateful for him for it. You asked whether he feels that's been an advantage to him, and also you asked him whether uh, the likes of Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic... Did you mention Andy Murray? Because he didn't no, I, play on I just said those one. two. Those I, two. I think I whether said they would have any good reason to, to feel... Did you use the word miffed? What word did I you s- use? I said
2: if you were them, would you be disappointed... disappointed. That, ...that situation and had taken he place? he was...
3: A politician about it, wasn't he? He mm. was a total politician. He didn't want to be drawn. He said, which you can understand. He said, yeah. Look, he said, look, I, I'm extremely grateful for it, um, but it's not me that makes the decisions. Which is always the cop out that these players give. When I asked Agnieszka Advanska how she felt about the uh, the scheduling, uh, the fewer women's matches scheduled. On centre, actually, that was on day two of the tournament. I think long before the whole uh, Fiorelli broke out, uh, she just said, "Oh well, it's, it's not me that makes the decisions. Like, I'm, aware, the, uh, of that. I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. I'm just the, asking what you think about them." That's I'm, the I
2: don't write the headlines. Yeah, on, I'm isn't
3: it? I'm not prime minister <laughs> of the United Kingdom, but I've I've got <laughs> opinions about what the prime minister of the United Kingdom is doing. But you
2: can understand.
3: You absolutely can sure understand. He doesn't it. want to get bogged down in in that debate. Uh, two days ahead of the final. Had to ask, though, eh? Yeah had to ask, exactly. Sometimes, the, you know, they just need to be put on the spot.
2: Yeah. He did a, he did a great job. I mean, st- you know, the thing with Federer, and I think that the one thing I would say that every press conference there is a feature of with Federer is he can turn pretty ordinary questions into really interesting answers. That is just a talent he has. And I, I, the only other one I can think of who's remotely like that in, at the very top of the game is Murray. Uh, on the men's side, at least, uh, you know, in a different way. But he will, he might cut you down with the initial part of the answer, but he will then turn it down, turn it around into some thought that he's had. Yeah. That you you might have asked me a all.
3: rubbish question, but I'm going to give you a decent answer. Yeah, he,
2: he almost tells <laughs> yeah. you that. Actually.
3: Yeah. Um... Now then, what else is there to discuss? You've had a bit of a chat with a Croatian journalist who's have, yes. flown in, yes. flown in just in the last hour or so That's as right. a result of Marančilić reaching the final.
2: Davo Buracin, who is somebody that I met at my first ever tournament for the ATP back in 1998. My first tournament was as a communications manager in split in Croatia. It's the first time I'd ever been uh, to that part of the world. And he was there in the press room with another wonderful man called Nevin Batićević And they, they were just... Just always my favorite journalist the one from croatia I, I always got on with them famously they were always they were all sort of colluded and 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 worked up stories together and there was always a very nice atmosphere with them well he as you say uh, this is a time of of really Strained budgets in the the media world, and it's you know it's very difficult for for newspapers, particularly in a a country like Croatia, to to send and fly over their correspondents to cover these tournaments. Well, Marin Cilic is into the final, so Davor has has flown in today, just an hour or two ago. He told me I I was I was asking him what what is it like in Croatia right now? What what is the atmosphere around Cilic being in this final? Obviously. 16 years ago it was Goran Ivanishvich in, in the final and he's been there a number of times Davos said it, it, people are very interested that it, it, it is on in the bars and people are talking about Marin and they like him but they don't love him the way that they loved Goran. I mean, who you know, they don't love anybody the way they loved Goran. Goran was one of them. In that, so that, I mean, many that ways.
3: applies outside of Croatia. It does. Even, it's, yeah.
2: it's no slight at all on Marin. He, this, he's polite to a to, the, to a fault. He's a really nice guy, and he's representing the country well. And people really do care about him winning. But it's 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 different, and. He said that he will have six pages of Sportskinovosti, Novosti, the, the main sports newspaper in Croatia, to write a preview for this match on Sunday. So, a lot of work for Davo to do. But yeah, the interest is there.
3: Crikey, how long has he got to do the six pages?
2: couple of hours so uh, I, d- I said to, so Davo can you come on the show and t- talk to us and tell us all about it he said you're kidding me I've got a goal
3: did you tell him about uh, Goran's potential debut on Strictly Come Dancing which no, no is I a campaign that I feel is gathering ahead of steam oh, if you yeah. haven't uh, had your say uh, on Twitter either in our poll which may now have closed but it was intense, pretty yeah. was pretty decisive in its verdict I think I made uh, my or my point. you can just tweet at BBC Strictly yeah. and uh, get on it Yeah, add your name to the growing numbers who are trying to make this happen. Um, IBM's debate topic today, uh, IBM Watson, the artificial intelligence platform, I'm only going to get to say that a couple more times this tournament, artificial intelligence platform. Uh, Their debate topic today um, is adaptability, uh, which I think is quite pertinent, probably more pertinent than they realised when they chose it, because... I think Thomas Burdick is the perfect example example of someone whose plan A is great. It's not not a Federer plan A, but it's a great plan A. He doesn't have plan B. What he lacks is the ability to adapt his game. I've heard this mentioned a few times in commentary this week, that what separates the top four out is their ability... to mix things up, to adapt their the variety in their game. I heard it levelled at Jo Conter yesterday. She's great. She's got a great game. She can't mix it up. She's only got plan A. I and mean, if plan A isn't working, we did, as we saw yesterday against Venus, a little bit of panic set in. She did start darting her eyes up to the box as if to say, I don't know what to do here. It's not working. So it is, it is a very important feature, right? It's something that distinguishes the the 0.01% I think, isn't it? And I just think possibly Sam Query as well and in particular Thomas Burdick a very good illustration of that feature of the game.
2: Yeah, and, and I'm always really wary as people flood out of the Roger Federer press conferences, which is why you can probably hear the hubbub in the background here. In the, the reason corridor. they're
3: flooding out a bit later than us is they probably stayed in for the French and they Swiss German portions, yeah. because when we leave after the English portion, he still has at least two languages to go, sometimes three, yes. sometimes he does a bit of regular German as well.
2: Yeah, just for fun.
3: (laughs) Just for fun, yeah.
2: (laughs) But yeah, I I mean, I'm always a bit wary of just saying Roger Federer because I think it can get a bit tiresome. Yes, I mean, you could say he's at the top of every uh, category, which I think ultimately leads to the fact that why I I believe he's the best male tennis player I've ever seen in my life. But the, the fact is that I can pinpoint a couple of examples throughout his career particularly that strike me. I remember the 0-4 final here. He was under the cosh from Andy Roddick. He was getting blasted off the court by Roddick who was relentlessly piling on the pressure. And the rain came and afterwards Federer decided... I'm going to serve and volley. I'm going to change the way I play. And he actually told us that afterwards, and it worked. That's we, a
3: fantastic example. The, the, I always remember Roddick on the court afterwards speaking to Sue Barker, practically in tears. He might even have been in tears saying, I threw the kitchen sink at Roger today. Maybe next time I'm going to have to throw the bath at him
2: yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, another one that strikes me, and again interrupted by rain, was the 2012 final when a little bit like Thomas Burdick, Andy Murray kept walloping cross court four. He just started with Lendl and I got the feeling that Lendl was saying just go after your forehand every single time into his forehand corner and it and it rattled Federer, he, he was on the back foot, I think he was a set, maybe even a breakdown in the second set, he was certainly a set down and the rain came and Federer changed the way he played and just took Murray's time away, took the initiative away. He does have so many options, and and he knows how to use them. That's the beauty of it.
3: The Telegraph have uh, looked at all the data that IBM Watson has thrown up, and they've decided that. And they've looked, to be fair, they've interpreted the question in a slightly broader sense than we have. They have uh, deemed that Rafael Nadal is the best player at adapting and imposing his game. and And what they're specifically focusing on is how he's generally adapted his game from a clay quarters game to to become a two-time french open champion and it's interesting i was watching the match between thomas burdick and dominic team the fourth round match on monday for for bbc radio and he was trying dominic team he was trying to adapt his game but it it was echoes of nadal 10 years ago he hasn't figured it out yet he he was trying to force the issue and every now and then he thought oh it's grass maybe i should serve and volley (laughs) but he hadn't It's clear he's a few years away from properly figuring it out and it reminded me just how far Nadal came in in just a few years. How about this
2: one? Arthur Ashe in in his Wimbledon final against Jimmy Connors. Richard Evans, the great broadcaster, tells me that Arthur Ashe was known for his big serve and his big game and overpowering people but it wasn't going to work against Connors so he started just slowballing him. Junking him as they say, and and it worked. He won in straight sets, you know. that That is truly adaptable.
3: That's what Gilles Simon did against uh, Novak Djokovic last year at the Australian Open, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, that almost worked. Took him to five sets. That was when Djokovic was in his absolute pomp. Somebody else I should give a shout to that's just occurred to me, Jo Conter, in a very different sense. She has adapted everything about herself to make yes. herself a top five player and a grand slam mm. contender. That's sort of adapting in a different sense, but very much adapting to, to the the rigours, the demands of the game both mental and physical. If you want to have your say, it's hashtag what makes great, what do you think Who do you think is the most adaptable player in the game, both in a broader sense and perhaps within a match? There's kind of two separate debates there to have your say in. Hashtag what makes great. If you want to check out the data, ibm.com forward slash Wimbledon and make sure you go to the Telegraph website as well. And you can also, while you're on the Telegraph website, have a look at what Simon Briggs has now scurried off into Uh the press room to, to finish writing. Well, he is... Uh, well, he's fifty minutes past deadline actually now mm. because Roger Federer was a bit late to press. We were sat in there waiting for a while. Apparently, he was he was
1: with guests. Well, ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Gigi Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello. Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure,
3: which Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Should we have a quick look ahead to the women's final? Yeah between Venus Williams and Garbine Mugarutha, Muguruza I had a quick chat with Gigi Salmon friend of the podcast earlier who will be commentating on the final for Five Live she can't pick between them, she thinks it's a 50-50, it's head says Muguruza, heart says Venus you know it's that that, that impalpable thing of it just feeling like. You
2: what the head-to-head is. I the can't fairy what it tale is. of
3: Venus it, it is this unstoppable train. I, mean,
2: I, I know. I think. I think I saw Muguruza play against Venus earlier this year, and I'm fairly sure that it was a it was a Muguruza win Keep on that occasion. Keep talking, David. I, I, I am stop talking. Uh, but I feel really on the knife edge as well. My look, I got the last one wrong. I said that uh, Conta would beat Venus 52. Forty-eight, and I, and I still kind of feel you s- that you
3: said it in the guise of David Lloyd, though, on uh, on Victoria Derbyshire. So, oh yes, so you, I did. <laughs> so yeah. you don't get the shtick. So that wasn't me. Um, I, yeah, I, I said shtick like I said shtick like Michael shtick there. Yeah, I wonder what he's doing. That today. was like anyway. sort of subconscious Wimbledoniness. There we are. I, I th- I'm still going to go.
2: For Muguruza, because I just think she's in really, really good form. The Um, head-to-head
3: is 3-1 in favour of Venus Williams. They last met in Rome this year on clay, and Muguruza won 6-2 in the third. Uh, They've never met on grass. I I
2: feel really as though I'm walking on dangerous territory writing off Venus Williams just at the moment, because she keeps on stepping up doesn't she and she's getting better throughout this tournament but 6-1-6-1 for Muguruza I tell you what I think we have a real chance of this being an all one of the great finals um, if they both play to their best ability, we're going to get a Lindsay Davenport, Venus Williams-type final. I and, agree. And I I'm, hope we do.
3: I'm going to sit on the fence as well and just predict a great no, final. No, you're not.
2: What are you going to go for as a win? Oh. I'm going for Muguruza. Are you? I'll yeah. go for
3: Venus then. Because I really genuinely think it's a 50-50. Yeah. I,
2: I mean, so. I don't feel particularly confident about that prediction, but...
3: Um, just, I think the best person that we can hear from to uh, provide a bit of colour ahead of the final is Mr Chris Clary, who we talked about yesterday after Venus's victory over, over Joe Conta. And I found that chat we had with Simon Briggs really interesting about how difficult he found it to tell the Venus Williams story. Well, as you said at the time, Chris Clary is probably the journalist's best position to tell that story. And David has spoken to him and asked him, first of all, Where this achievement, if she does achieve it tomorrow, would stand in the great achievements of Venus Williams?
5: I think the feeling is that it really would be the most powerful of all if she were to win it. It's hard to say that because of all the victories over the years, but considering where it is in her career, all she's been through since the last final here in 2009, uh, I think the feeling in the family is that it would be something extraordinary.
2: Yeah, because really... uh... Early on, of course, Venus was the story. 20 years ago, reached her first Grand Slam final. Then Serena came along, but Venus was still mopping up five Wimbledon titles. But I don't know. I think most people thought her Grand Slam winning days would probably be behind her. She's now got another chance for one. What what, what was your sense in the U.S.? Uh, Did you feel you'd ever see this again?
5: No, I definitely did not. And that was a match in 2012, I remember very well, on uh, court three against Vesnina in the first round. Venus went out pretty quickly. And At that stage, she'd been struggling, and it just seemed like it was, it was the end. It had that feeling of the end out there. And all the interviews afterward were kind of in that tone. And Venus did a press conference, and I won't never forget. She just said, uh, life's holding me back right now, but I am a champion. I know I'm a champion. 2012, she and Serena go on and win the doubles there. And she didn't have a great couple years, but then she just was going through losses and fighting through, and then steadily she's rebuilt it. And you can see today, I mean, that's some of the best tennis she's played. I really believe that.
2: That is almost a microcosm, what you've just described, of this last couple of weeks. The the, the statement, life is holding me back. Because obviously she came into this tournament with this personal tragedy, the the gentleman that that died in the car accident that she was involved in. Um, She broke down in her first press conference. I mean, the idea after that, that she could still be competitive and end up where she's been. I mean, I find that extraordinary. Yeah, she, the
5: family has developed, they had it probably from the beginning, but great mental strength, I think, and the ability to compartmentalize is something that Venus has always had in, in some respects, having to deal with distractions from her father, from her family, things from the outside, like you know, the murder of her, of her sister that happened uh, pretty early on in her career. So a lot of things she's had to fight through, and I think the tennis court has been a place where she can express herself. She's a pretty self-contained person anyway in general. I think she goes through that. But I do think, David, that it helped a lot when the, uh, the police in the United States came out with a statement early in the tournament. It didn't absolve her of blame, yet legally we don't know, but it, it made it clear that she entered the intersection where the uh, accident took place and it wasn't uh, illegal what she did. And I could feel it within the family and the camp from talking to them throughout the last couple weeks that that was a real you know, reassuring moment for her and maybe lightened the load a bit. Do you think she'll get through and win this? You know, you have asked me these sorts of questions way too many times <laughs> over the years. All I know is Venus is now the best story without a doubt available because before it was Conta and Venus, both pretty good. I mean, Garbina and will have plenty more opportunities. I can't say how many more Wimbledon finals Venus will get to play in. So you got to hope that... She puts on a good performance and plays. But it'll be tough. Garbina is at a high level.
2: And just finally, how big will this be in the U.S.? How, how interested is your editor at the New York Times in this story? Tennis is not what it was. Um, Wimbledon is still the biggest thing, I think, in terms
5: of uh, what interests people. But this goes beyond tennis. It goes beyond sport. The Williams sisters are real stars in the U.S. And anybody who's ever been uh, a big sister or a big brother and seen you know, that kind of rivalry going on or also that kind of closeness, I think, can relate to Venus's story. And I think there'll be a lot of people who will connect with it.
3: Well, he says it so well, doesn't he, Chris Clary? She transcends tennis, she transcends sport, and despite how incredible she is, she is also relatable. And that is one of the most amazing things about her. Chris Clary there speaking to David for BBC Radio 5 Live, a fantastic interview, really shedding a bit of light on what this would mean to Venus Williams. She looks, if you'll excuse the pun, so serene on court. Sometimes doesn't she yeah. so so serene and it's not it's not like she doesn't care it's almost like she's just seems kind of above it all she's like this matriarch of the sport who wants to win but is kind of above winning or losing, and actually she's not it's going to be she's a, not
2: it's going to be a bit of a serene of isn't it this match because these two really do know how to walk the walk out there that
3: is not a hashtag that's taking off anytime soon david It in my world (laughs) (laughs) right then so we've made our sort of predictions we've got another 24 hours before we have to make predictions for the men's final and i I really don't know on that yet Uh, i'm pretty sure i'm going to end up predicting federer but my my broad thoughts at the moment are federer needs to play his best
2: Oh, I'm definitely sure of that. Federer needs to play his
3: best. He is going to be challenged more so than he has been in any match so far this tournament. But I will reserve the right to change my mind for another 24 hours, as will David Law. Um, I think that's it for day 11. Two more of these things to go. The two big ones, finals days. Please do join us for the last two daily tennis podcasts of Wimbledon 2017. It's been such a pleasure doing them as someone absolutely God, <laughs> sprints how past how late is he? at the speed of light. I don't know where he's off to. He's ducked into the press conference room You've no. missed Roger Federer, mate.
2: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, listen, everybody, leave us a review on iTunes, won't you? Tell everybody about the tennis podcast. Hey, you can get T-shirts, you can get bags with the tennis podcast written on hey, it. Hey,
3: I've got my T-shirt with me. Have We're going to do a photo. All right. Yeah, well. so head to our social media feeds if you want a uh, little illustration of what our merch looks like. And uh, one last plug, make sure you watch the Eurosport Highlight Show, 10pm tonight. Uh, covering the two men's semi finals, looking ahead to the women's final. They're covering the men's and women's finals live over the weekend and doing a highlight show as well. So, as great as the BBC coverage is and each to their own, there is an alternative, everybody. Uh, We've been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with Eurosport and The Telegraph, and we'll be back tomorrow.